0: Everyone, um, we're going to look at John chapter 4. John 4, verses 27 through 42. We'll read the text together. The title is The Revival in Samaria. Is it just me or is it kind of dark in here? Okay. I just me. Okay, Revival in Samaria. John 4, 27. Just then his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking to her? So the woman left her water jar, went away into town, and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they they went out of the town and were coming to him. receiving wages, and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that that for which you did not labor, others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word they said to the woman it is no longer because of what you said that we believe but we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world let's pray together father we thank you for this time that we can gather to worship We thank you that we can sit to your word, we pray that you would meet us. Uh, through your word, speak to our hearts, and um, uh, uh, we pray that uh, the message that we hear from you today would be relevant in our lives uh, this week. As uh, as you send us forth, help us to be the ambassadors for the name of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So, we saw the story of the Samaritan woman last week, and um, if you remember, we kind of stopped in the middle of that exchange between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, Um, but now we pick up the story where we left off, and uh, through this text, we're going to see that God's plan wasn't just for the Samaritan woman, that it actually involved the entire town, them to see jesus as well uh, we talked about kind of repeatedly john's main purpose in writing this gospel right at the end of the gospel he says in john twenty thirty one, but these things things are written so that you may believe right so that you may believe that jesus is the christ so this entire gospel has a missional intent this is the reason why he's writing so that other people would read it and believe in the name of Jesus Christ and so that they can have eternal life. And that's what this text is about. Jesus is revealing himself, right, so that people may believe, but not only that, but as he does that in the meantime, he's making missionaries out of his disciples so that they can go forth and and be sent out and carry on this missional purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives. So that's what this text is about. That's what we're going to seek. So, first, three things. First, an unlikely witness. An unlikely witness. Verse 27 says the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said to her, What do you seek? or to Jesus, Why are you talking with her? Jesus is obviously not following cultural norms here because the disciples are shocked to see Jesus talking with a woman. They're silent, but obviously they're asking questions in their hearts. So this becomes an opportunity for Jesus to teach them something, to teach them about his purpose on earth and to, to make them into the disciples' knowing the mission that he's going to give them and that's what we'll see unfold in this text verse 28 so the woman left her water jar leaving her water jar might seem kind of like a random detail to include in this story but it's possible that this is mentioned intentionally by john as a symbolic way of showing the result of her drinking jesus's living water The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people come see a man who told me all that I ever did can this be the Christ they went out of the town and were coming to him so um, it really seems like she had a genuine life-changing encounter with Jesus not only because of this leaving the water jar possibly John's way of saying that she doesn't need the water jar anymore because she won't thirst again. But it seems like in other ways that we see evidences of her genuinely changing because of her encounter with Jesus. For example, before she wanted to avoid people, now she's actually eager to go to them. And as she goes to them, she gives her testimony about what Jesus did in her life. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Notice that this isn't a very sophisticated witness, right? She's not expounding the deity of Christ or anything like that. She's not following a proven witnessing strategy here. She just relays a simple personal experience that she, that, that, that she had, which is, this is what happened to me. That's basically what she's saying. This is amazing. You won't believe this. You have to come and check this out. Her testimony was simple but compelling, causing people to go to Jesus after hearing her testimony. I think we can kind of pause here to realize that it really doesn't take much to really stir stir interest in people, right? Come see a man who told me all I ever did doesn't take much but the key is that it was a real personal experience with Jesus she had a real 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 personal encounter with Jesus that's why she was able to give a genuine testimony her testimony didn't come from from head knowledge about Jesus right I heard about this person no her testimony overflowed from her heart because she personally encountered Jesus for herself. Um, Came across this very recently. Okay, a mom and her adult son are sitting in an airplane. A mom and her adult son are sitting in an airplane and they hear some commotion, something, at the other end of the plane. Soon after, a flight attendant comes on the speaker with this request. Is there a doctor on board? The mom nudges her son. That should have been you. Son says, not now, mom. Mom says, they're not asking for a graphic designer to help, are they? Son says, mom, now is not the time. There's a medical emergency happening right now. To which the mom says, why don't you save him? Save him as a PDF and see if that helps. <sighs> if you didn't get it, just listen later. So the son wasn't good enough, right? The son just wasn't good enough because he wasn't a doctor. And that's exactly how we're often judged in this world, right? we're judged based on what we're doing for a living or how much money we're making or how accomplished we are in other ways. But Jesus has a very odd way of starting his kingdom, starting his revolution, if you will. He takes a Samaritan woman who has no standing in society, someone who's had five husbands and makes her His spokesperson and ambassador goes to show that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, to demonstrate the power of God. The only thing that mattered was that her testimony was real. Her encounter with Jesus was real. And what that means for us is simple. It really doesn't matter who you are. If you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, God will use you. Maybe you're at home this week with your family, wondering how you're going to make a difference. Your family members that you love that don't know Christ, how am I going to make a difference? This is all she does. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. That was. Or testimony it was not in the persuasiveness of the words but the words the words express something real in the heart and that's the lesson for us remain in divine a real relationship with Jesus Christ and God will use you an unlikely witness secondly the eyes the eyes for the harvest, the eyes for the harvest. Verse 31, meanwhile the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat, but he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Now it's the disciples turn to not understand what Jesus is talking about. They went away to buy food, they come back with food So now they want Jesus to eat. But Jesus says, I have food. So they naturally conclude that someone brought him food while they were gone. But Jesus was not talking about physical edible food. We see this over and over again. People are constantly misunderstanding Jesus because they're thinking along natural earthly realm things while Jesus is talking about spiritual truths says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So this is like this right now is the answer to the question that the disciples did not ask earlier, right? Why are you talking with her when they saw Jesus? Why are you talking with her? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus is saying doing the will of God Accomplishing his work is my food. Food, if you think about it, food is what we need to live. That's why it's a high priority for us. We seek food. We go out of our way to to get food. We make time to eat food. Some might even say they live for food. Eating food is a regular habit we practice to sustain our very lives. Food is that important to us. And Jesus says, doing the will of God is my food. He's saying that doing the will of God, accomplishing the work given to him is of the highest importance in his life. Jesus would say a couple chapters later in John chapter 6, verse 38, for I come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So, talking to this woman who needed eternal life was important to Jesus because she was one of the souls that the Father had given him. It did not matter that this was a woman. It did not matter that this was a Samaritan because Jesus came to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was bringing eternal life to this one soul. Now after that, after explaining that, after revealing his heart to his disciples, now Jesus turns the attention on the disciples because just as the Father sent him, now he's going to send his disciples later on into the world. He says in verse 35, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. He uses this farming illustration that might be foreign to us, but was obvious to the disciples. He says, the fields are white, white for harvest, referring to the the whitening color of grain that is ripe. So white for harvest means it's ripe for harvest. So I mean, think about this. Can you imagine a field that is totally ripe for harvest. But the harvesters are just sitting there saying, not now. That's what the disciples are doing with this Samaritan town. There's no way that they would believe. I mean, salvation comes from the Jews and they're Samaritans. So they dismiss the Samaritans from the harvest. So Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see. Jesus and the disciples, they saw differently because the eyes reflect the priority of the heart. For the disciples, when they went into this Samaritan town, all they saw in this town was a place to buy food. But for Jesus, this Samaritan town was a place to do the will of God, a place to reap a harvest. And this is obviously a lesson that clearly applies to us today. Do I have eyes to see the harvest? Do I have eyes to see the harvest? I've known people, actually several people, who um, this was their progression. Like they graduated college, and then immediately after graduating from college, they go on a mission trip that summer. And then right after that mission trip, they start their jobs. It, you know, full-time job in the workplace. Now, after they go on that mission trip, like they come back, their hearts are on fire for God, right? So they, they start work with this attitude of, this isn't just the job, this is my mission field. This is the mission field that God has given me. These are the souls that God has entrusted to me. And every conversation, every exchange I have them counts because I may never have this moment ever again with this person. And I hear that. They share those kinds of convictions as they start work. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. That's an attitude that we all should have. And then they worked there for a few years and their attitude is a little different. Now it's more like, if I don't do it, someone else will. It's kind of like, you know, if I don't talk to them, it's okay because Because at some point in their lives, you know, I believe in like the sovereignty of God, at some point in their lives, someone's going to come into their lives and they're going to talk to them about Jesus. In other words, four months more. And then the harvest. But you see the eyes reflect the priority of the heart. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Think about that. Jesus came to do the will of the Father and that was the sole reason That he existed on this earth. And that is also why he saw the harvest field. That is why he was able to see. What the disciples could not see. He saw. The harvest that is white. Ready to be harvested. May we live with this kind of attitude. This John 4.34. May John 4.34 be written on our hearts. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I mean, that's a very good question we can ask ourselves, right? Like, what is, I mean, if you can, if you can, if you can write it out, life mission statement, what is my food? Right? I mean, we don't have some uh, life group discussion this week, but, but so it could be a good personal exercise. Jesus says, my food of the highest, this is what I live for, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food, blank, what would I fill that in with? May we live with John 4.34 written on our hearts. Thirdly, lastly, sowing and reaping together. Sowing and reaping together. Verse 36: Already the one who reaps is receiving wages. And gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. I'll read that again. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages. So that's a picture of uh, the harvester, right? The reaper is almost like he's already done his work, he's already reaped the harvest, and now he's getting paid, right? Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So he's, uh, he's um, talking about it spiritually, like reaping is already taking place, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. So it seems like Jesus is saying that now, now at this point um, in redemptive history, now sowing and reaping are happening simultaneously. Back in Amos chapter 9, verse 13, Says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the ploughman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The ploughman, the one who is ploughing and sowing, shall overtake the reaper. Okay, so again, like the sower and reaper will will, will coincide, and the treader of grapes the one who, who harvests, if you will, who sows the seed. So Amos is talking about a time later on, the days are coming of great blessings, a time of overwhelming harvest. The harvest will be so overwhelming that as you sow, you will also reap. And Jesus is saying that that time is here. Sowing and reaping are happening together with the coming of Jesus Christ the field is ripe for harvest verse 37 for here the saying holds true one sows and another reaps i sent you to reap that for which you did not for you did not labor others have labored and you have entered into their labor so the disciples obviously didn't exactly know where they were in the timeline of redemptive history This was obviously a new phase in redemptive history with the coming of Jesus, but it wasn't the start. It wasn't the very beginning, the start of the entire redemptive story. And Jesus is telling them God had already been working using many of the prophets that had come before, all the way up to John the Baptist. And that means that many had already done the work of sowing. So Jesus says others have labored and now it's time for reapers to benefit from their previous labor. And that's exactly what we see happening as this Samaritan story continues. Many Samaritans, it says in verse 39, from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, stay there two days, and it says, many more, many more believe because of his word. He said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have hurt for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So if you think about it, the disciples experienced this great revival, a harvest that they did not sow, as they witnessed this great revival happening in Samaria. It's interesting here, that at first some believed because of the woman's testimony. And then it says after that, many more believed because they heard his word for themselves. So it turns out it was not the woman's job to save her town. Her role was only to talk about Jesus right? or to bring them to Jesus so that they can experience Jesus for themselves. And it seems like this was the crucial lesson for the disciples that they couldn't see the harvest before them even though it was ripe they couldn't see it before them but they witnessed this great harvest in the most unlikely place a Samaritan town because it's actually the work of God and this is exactly what the disciples would need to know as they would later be sent by Jesus that whether they're called to sow or whether they're called to reap, we're to see ourselves as part of the process. And seeing ourselves as part of the process, we can sow or work faithfully, believing that there's a harvest waiting at the end because this is the work of God. Too often we measure and see our roles Uh, And we measure ourselves, success or failure, uh, depending on the outcome of reaching that unlikely gospel candidate. But that's not how we're supposed to see it. It's a part of the process. And all of it is the work of God. I remember one of the times that I learned this most clearly was when I was actually in Japan. I mean, I think statistically it's like um, 97% or something like that don't believe in Jesus Christ. So obviously, I mean, you can kind of imagine going into a campus even, right, where people might be the most open on a, on a college campus and then trying to talk about Jesus, and it's like rejection after rejection, okay? left and right, like rejection after rejection. Okay? I mean, you think you go over there, across the street and get rejected. I mean, think about it in a place where uh, there's less than 3% that are believers. And I remember a, a pastor there um, said this. Right? A lot of times we think success in ministry or success in reaching out is actually helping the person come to know Jesus Christ. And we think like that's the only time that we've actually you know, done God's work and then like all the other times we failed. But he like, he drew out this graph. He just wrote out like, and then it was kind of like a math chart. It was like negative five, negative four, negative zero, positive one, zero, positive one, positive two. And he's saying like, if you talk to someone and you bring that person from a negative, negative two to zero, then you've done God's work. You've actually successfully witnessed and evangelized that person. Because that means later on, God's going to send someone else into that person's life and then take them from zero to you know, a positive number. Sometimes our role is to sow. Sometimes our role is to reap. But either way, we rejoice because they're both God's work. the disciples would not have thought of Samaritans or or a woman as the harvest field. But this story shows that this is God's work and because it's God's work there will be a harvest at the end and we're called to just go out and do the work of God. Um just want to share this and kind of conclude with this thought. Um, okay, so Minnesota, I guess, has taken a step back. Uh, we felt like we were kind of making progress. Actually, in terms of restaurants opening up, or you know, school opening up, or things like that, And in, in terms of those ways, we thought we were making progress. But actually, in terms of the numbers of the coronavirus and People affected and deaths and things like that. We've been actually going backwards, and so obviously in this recent, uh, in this past week, the governor um, uh, gave another state order, so that there's some things that have been uh, uh, withdrawn back to curb the virus spread. Uh, One of the things that were affected, obviously, um, because of this was our, our kids' uh, sports activities. One of the things was youth sports, like no youth sports for at least four weeks. December 18th is the target date, and then we'll see from there what happens. Okay? It's interesting because up until leading up to this, our boys have been like, this is basketball season now, so they've been practicing a lot, okay? going to the YMCA almost every day, practicing, getting ready, getting um, Daniel, actually, our second son, actually had his tryouts uh, last week. And then uh, Enox was supposed to be this coming Monday. Okay? So his tryouts happened, the first one, and then this coming week obviously got canceled. Okay? And uh, now they've been like, building up to this, but now they're wondering like, what's going to happen. Uh, how are we ever gonna, even going to be able to practice anymore? Because the YMCA, where we went to practice, also is closed now. At least a month okay? uh, so I was just kind of thinking about this scenario I was thinking okay so it seems like there's obviously a challenge here okay? you're making progress making progress and now like you're stuck because there are no open gyms okay? and it's cold outside okay? and obviously it's going to snow in the upcoming days and things like that okay? um, but I was thinking but this, this does not mean that you have to stop your progress. It does mean that it's going to actually be a little harder. It does mean that you have to overcome some more excuses that you might have to actually making progress. But it does, mean, it does not mean that it has to, your progress has to stop. You can actually go out and shovel the driveway to dribble the ball can actually go out and bundle up and, uh, you know, suffer and, and overcome that challenge so that you can practice and become better. And um, I was just thinking about that and actually like, I, was, uh, it, it actually like gave me a lot of hope as I thought about our church because I think those are the same challenges that we face right now in our spiritual lives. Right? Um, maybe some of us, we felt like, oh we're kind of making progress. We're able to like get together with friends more all these things, But then pandemic, continuously, pandemic, isolation, all these things, and then like now you feel like you're stuck in your spiritual life. Okay. And I would say the same thing in that scenario. It's definitely going to be harder. There are definitely a lot more challenges and temptations to make excuses for ourselves because of those challenges. But it does not mean that our our progression in our faith has to stop. Of course, it will take a little bit more self-discipline and self-motivation and an awareness of my situation to make progress. But the opportunity is right there before me where I can grow through the challenges and difficulties of these days and get closer to Jesus, have a real, authentic, growing relationship with God so that I can give my testimony, this is what I did during the two-year quarantine period. And, uh, and then there's power behind our words. Because in the difficulty, in the challenges, we're able to find a genuine, real, authentic relationship with God. Pray that that would be the voice that your family members hear, even throughout this week. This is who Jesus is to me, and this is why I persevere and cling on to him. Uh, Let's pray together. We all know that Uh, when we're not intentional, we drift with the current. And at no time is that more true than it is today. When we're not intentional, we drift right with the current so that my food uh, is to live for my career. My food is to live for my future. My food is to live for this world and all the pleasures that this world has to offer. My food is to do the will of me. And uh, there's only one way to break out of that. We need to go and experience the word of Jesus for ourselves. Uh, And that word has power. We no longer believe because of what you told us, but we have seen for ourselves, we've heard for ourselves. In the quietness of my own room, I've experienced the word of God for myself and that word of God compels me to say that my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So May we have that intentional attitude in our hearts, John four thirty four be memorized in our minds and be written in, in our hearts so that every single day that passes by during this pandemic, every single day that I cannot see uh, the brothers and sisters around me, I'm actually getting deeper, I'm actually getting sharper, I'm actually getting stronger in my relationship with God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the the simple story of the Samaritan woman and the impact that she had in this entire town. And we know that that's the will of God uh, for our lives, for our families, uh, for this entire world, that souls might come to know Jesus and to worship the name of Jesus Christ. Use us as your spokesperson, as your ambassador. we draw closer to you in jesus name we pray amen let's pray together for a moment it's kind of sad this year we're not able to have thanksgiving celebration thanksgiving uh, dinner together and uh you know praise god for all the things that he's been doing in the lives of people in our church Um, and uh but at the same time like we don't want to neglect faithfulness of God in our lives and maybe we don't really hear um, too much of it because we're kind of uh, not you know we're like more isolated right now but uh, um, but let's pray for uh, our church to really experience the hand of God in this uh, in this season and then uh, let's pray for a great time with families for thanksgiving gatherings um whatever you know going home and being with our immediate family for thanksgiving and then let's pray that we would be able to express and worship and thanksgiving to god to the people around us and that in itself would be a great witness of his faithfulness in our lives so let's pray together for that for our church before we close heavenly father we come before you and we really confess and repent that too often our eyes are on ourselves and we're too absorbed in the things that um, that pertain to me we don't lift up our eyes to see uh, the the people around us the harvest around us the the faithful work of god before us around us after us all that you've been doing in redemptive history things that you're doing now uh, we don't Lift up our eyes to see enough of your glory and your worthiness in our lives. Help us, Lord, to to genuinely see and worship and praise in this Thanksgiving season. And we pray that as we experience you, just as this Samaritan woman um, experienced you, that the people around us would be inevitably impacted by the realness, the authentic relationship that we have with you. Lord, bless us with a, a deeper, stronger um, relationship with you during this time. And uh, wherever this um, this uh, leads us, uh, we pray that we'll come out more powerful, ready to declare the praises of God. Thank you, Lord. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, is unchanging, despite... Circumstances, unchanging covenant love of the Father God, and the fellowship and the strength, the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever.